Welcome to Screen Quest, a podcast where a fellowship of film lovers and armchair movie experts plays film roulette. I'm one of your hosts, Chris Waterman, joined by Mae Finch. Hello, hello, hello. And Will Rotondi. Hey, what's going on? Not a whole lot, except that your names are wrong on our uh, overlay, so I'm going to go ahead and fix that. Whoops. <laughs> you must have joined in the same like order, except for this week. So uh, let me fix your names real quick. And I think there we Will are. always beats me to it. He, <laughs> That's fine. <yeah. laughs> oh, man. Mr. We're all wearing gray. <laughs> that's you know that's uh, how you feel after watching our today's movie which is uh <laughs> which is parasite <laughs> this is part two of our director drill down Dr- drill down drill down is <laughs> <laughs> definitely not a drill dog uh, <laughs> oh hey, my god it's because oh i was gonna say for bong Chun ho and my mind sure, switched those words sure. keeping that right in there <laughs> okay. uh, director drill down for bong juno <laughs> and uh yeah i'm very excited to see what may has prepared for us <laughs> it's a banner day because we are also going to introduce some of our new categories for 2023 more on that in a second uh will you just got back from vacation i want to hear how was your trip I was good. I went to go visit my best friend out in Colorado. Um, he's in Space Wars, so he's moved around a few times. Uh, and so it's been a while since I was able to go out and see him. And had a good time, got to see the area, uh, go up to the top of Pikes Peak. And then at the end of the trip, ended up coming down with a little bit, like a touch of some sickness, like like a stomach bug or something from one of his kids. So just narrowly made it back before those symptoms kicked in. So that's that's been uh, <laughs> that's been something. I uh, I feel for you, Will. <laughs> mm-hmm, something yep. in the air, or maybe the water supply. <laughs> yep. Yeah, so talking about Ohio, parasites. A <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, little bit of dark humor there at the expense of the poor people of uh, Ohio, who I don't know if you have you guys been following the the wildness of the train crash. Oh, geez. Yeah. It's very it's it's scary, but also very confusing because it's not getting a lot of mainstream media coverage. Just bad, bad vibes all around. Yeah, I I think it's like stuck in my brain because I'm currently watching through uh, Chernobyl right now. And like for some reason, like my brain's like connecting those two things probably more acutely than it would otherwise, just because it's like at the forefront of my my mind, like big environmental disaster and sort of like traditionally government responses and communication, depending on the country and the time period hasn't always been the best. So I'm, I'm like a little curious, but. Well, we, it's, we would care, but there's all these balloons that we have to shoot down with F-22s. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh that, yeah. My fellow podcast uh, members and uh, part, like, you know, ex- our extended party members, I should say, uh, that's your little recap of current events here uh, for, <laughs> for 2023 from the screen, screen quest host. Um, well, I'm glad you had a good good trip will i'm sorry about the illness um that's not fun at least you it sounds like got home before like you know you were having to deal with travel and that which is not a fun combination so cool 
Well, who is ready to hear about our new cards for 2023? I should say more like categories. Uh, we'll reveal the artwork to you, uh, the listeners and viewers today, and tell you about the prompts. We will be keeping the nominations a secret uh, because, you know, we, I think that's part of the surprise is uh, what makes this enjoyable, hopefully, for all of you that watch and listen. So without further ado, here is our new set of categories. So I should say we are keeping all of our original nominations and categories intact. Uh, think of this like, like an expansion pack or a booster pack where we are uh, sort of bulking up our deck a little bit. So a little more variety in terms of categories and films, um, but the old ones aren't going anywhere. So there, um, there's plenty of films that we didn't get to that I still can't wait to talk about in the context that we've chosen. But uh, anyway, here we go. Uh, first, we have Origin Story, where we'll be talking about a highly influential film that launched a genre, movement, narrative structure, or some other sort of facet or category. Past the Tissues is our next one. That's where we'll be watching a good old-fashioned tearjerker and hopefully offering some uh, consolation to each other afterwards. Next up, we have Wink Wink Nudge Nudge, where we'll be Watching a film that's self-aware and grapples with social issues via satire, parody, or a breaking of the fourth wall. We also have The Role of a Lifetime, where we've each nominated a specific performance from a specific actor or actress that is a career highlight. Stranger Than Fiction is a category where we'll be watching a documentary and discussing it. And then we have Awkward where we'll be watching a film that was maybe a little too spot on with current events, or perhaps a film that was uh, ultra prescient, uh, maybe before uh, a, a you know specific current event or, or trend or something like that emerged. So very excited about that one. Some good selections there. Next up, we have End of the World, where we'll be watching a doomsday flick. Against My Better Judgment is a category where we'll be uh, discussing and watching a film that we've uh, maybe hesitated to watch or maybe saw a little bit of it and stopped. So also going to be an interesting category. Uh, we have Shipwreck, where we'll be choosing a film with a shoehorned romance. That should be a fun watch. Trope Soup. So our prompt here is tropes don't have to be bad. Discuss your favorite trope-filled film and why it worked for you. We have Ensemble Energy, where we'll be discussing an ensemble film that does a great job of developing multiple unique characters and plot lines. Last but not least, we have SFX Excellence, where we'll be watching a film that broke ground with amazing special effects. So there you have it. There are your new categories for 2023. As with our original set of films, we each nominated two films per category. So uh, that is a total of, what, six, if I'm doing my math right, um, across those categories, which um, is very exciting. Do you all have one that you're looking forward to more than the others? 
based on either the nominations that you saw that were in there. And again, don't don't spoil them or uh, just the, <laughs> the prompt itself. I just want to apologize for making all of mine very hard for you to say, Chris. <laughs> it's okay. It's all right. No big deal at all. I was I was kind of going off the cuff, like for almost all of those, just because like, I'm like, I don't, I'll read the prompt when we draw it the first time. But, you know, just, uh, yeah, anyway. <laughs> but um, yeah, I know I was uh, griping about having trouble coming up with nominations for this one but i am actually excited for awkward i think that'll probably have the uh some of the funniest discussions yeah and it's always neat to see a film that's able to like against all odds predict the future in a way that maybe it didn't think it was going to or you know i mean gosh the process of making movies uh is you know usually several years so sometimes a movie like is in pre-production and production and then some big world event like a pandemic, for example, happens or a stock market crash or something like that. Or in the case of like Casablanca, um, you know, Germany invades North Africa like that didn't happen like uh, before that movie or while it was movie was being made. And then, of course, like it was very soon after and it, it was like, oh, this is super relevant <laughs> um, in any event. Yeah, that's a cool one. How about you, Will? I think uh, since I always talk about my feelings on pretty much every episode, I've, I'll be excited to finally discuss your feelings that uh, with a movie that has made you tear up. Yeah. <laughs> so that's what I'm looking forward to. <laughs> that's great. Yeah, it's somebody else's turn to get on the couch, right? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> it's a safe space. It is. Yeah. Always a safe space here <laughs> at Screen Quest. Um for me, believe it or not, I think it's the documentary section because I'm so mm. bad about watching documentaries. Like I am great about seeking out different genres and time um, periods and, you know, films of different um, national origin, but like really bad about documentaries. So um, I'm glad that I like have um, several of them that I have not seen on the list and will hopefully broaden my um, horizon a little bit. So. Very good. We will not be revealing new side quests, which we do have. I want those to be a surprise kind of in the moment. Uh, but rest assured, we are bulking up that deck with some new side quests as well. We did this really to uh, to give you uh, listeners and viewers a bit more variety um, and ourselves a little more variety. Uh, I think we've drawn just about every category at this point. So um, it'll be fun to occasionally have something new pop up. Uh, something else that I wanted to quickly announce, and this is uh, something I didn't discuss with my co-host uh, ahead of the thing, so I'm doing this live, baby, um, is wow. I will be making a Google form where uh, listeners and viewers can submit your own individual nominations for uh, any of the categories that we have. So both our you know, 2022 categories and 2023 and we will select at least one uh, from each of the user submitted nominations. And you'll be able to indicate if you would like to be a guest on the show when you submit your nomination. You don't have to. You can simply put one forth and there'll be a little comment section there for you to fill out. But uh, this will be a way for us to engage with all of you as well as maybe get some uh, some new perspectives on the show, which I think is quite exciting. So there we go. Uh, my 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 hosts are nodding. I know we've talked about this before, but I I failed to mention that I was going to discuss it on the uh, the podcast. But I thought it was a good time as well. I am awesome. mostly excited. I do think some of my friends that see this will make me suffer, but you know what? That's okay. <laughs> you did great over the Halloween season. Uh, we watched some 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 movies there, man. Woo. 
uh, and he did did really well. So um, I have no doubt that some of my friends may also make me suffer for like different you know reasons, but that's okay. Very, very, very good. Well, uh, let me transition here. As you can see, if you're a, a watcher versus a listener, I uh, have gotten to the uh, overlay that I made back way when we started this podcast, but I failed to use where it's our, our head's a little bit bigger, no game board. Um, so I'm going to switch over to the game board now. And I'm, I'm saying this out loud so that I can hopefully like trick my brain into getting into the habit of doing it. So let's go over to the game board and uh, let's draw us a side quest, shall we? Okie doke. Prompt. Today is if you film it, they will come. If mm -hmm. uh, you, my my fellow co-hosts, remember, and audience may remember, this is a film that was made uh, simply to do fan service. So uh, maybe not made with any sort of artistic merit or intent, but a film that is strictly for fan service. I'm going to let one of my co-hosts um, <laughs> go this week because I've been a couple of weeks in a row on this. So take your time. We can edit around it. But <laughs> Bill and Ted face the music. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> Please elaborate. Though. I agree wholeheartedly. Oh, man. I, I will preface this by saying I actually liked it. I didn't Me expect too. anything amazing out of it. I just wanted something that was going to be lighthearted and a good time. And I got it. And that was fine. Um, I actually enjoyed watching it as much for like the original guys coming back uh, as I did for who they got to play their daughters, because I thought that was probably the more entertaining aspect of it. Um, and yeah, it was, it was sort of like with uh, George Carlin not being around anymore, you know, how are they going to try and, you know, have people from the future reach out and what's the conflict going to be that Bill and Ted apparently have to be involved in and the time travel that's going to be there. And I was glad that it wasn't like, too much rehashing of where things have been before because I don't like sequels these days tend to like wash, rinse, and repeat a lot just for the nostalgia. Um, but it felt grounded enough and in the same universe enough and kind of check marked all the Easter eggs or the you know the callbacks enough that I thought that I was like, okay, this is <laughs> this is silly and it's not amazing, but it was fun. It was what I was looking for. How about for you guys? Did <laughs> Chris, you you mentioned you you had seen it. <laughs> Yes, um, I agree with you, like you're you're uh, selecting this film for the category, but I also agree with you that I really enjoyed it. Uh, it it's, you know, not the best of the I think it's maybe like the second best of like the original is like really impossible to top for what it was. But I think timing is everything. This movie came out like right smack in the middle of like lockdown mm -hmm. and it was a VOD like it was supposed to be like a theatrical release, which I think maybe later it did. But it was like a shot in the arm that I desperately needed where I was like, I'm going to come into this with like the most open of hearts, you know, and minds mm -hmm. and just like let it wash over me. And uh, Marianne and I did like a little mini marathon of like the the first two films the day before it came out and then watched it. And uh, it was everything it needed to be and should be. Didn't take itself too seriously. Did not reinvent the wheel gave you all the bill and ted shenanigans that you could possibly want i agree with you the the, the daughters were fantastic addition to um 
the cast they felt like they were like the offspring of these characters but had their own unique identities at the same time mm-hmm. and uh it was just a delight i think the timing really helped with it too i wonder how i would have felt about it on the other side of the pandemic where i am admittedly more cynical <laughs> about just about everything did you see this may or, or, or have you seen uh like any of the bill and ted films i've seen some of the original um mm-hmm. i did not see this one but it is funny how everyone was complaining about how everything is a remake or like a sequel or whatever these days up until the pandemic. And then we had a good period there where everyone was like, actually, we kind of like being reminded of simpler times. (laughs) And uh, I feel like that is starting to die off a little bit. Maybe, I don't know. Maybe, maybe if the balloons are aliens, then we will want more remakes pre alien (laughs) invasion. Who knows? The next Independence Day movie can come out. (laughs) Yeah, Jesus Christ. (laughs) Talk about awkward, like an awkward selection. (laughs) Right? Whoops. Independence Day. Um, Mm -hmm. uh, Will Smith, we need your slapping skills now. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Nice. Welcome to Earth. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, hey, I love the selection. Great choice, Will. And uh, yeah, thanks. Thanks for. Thanks for sharing. I am going to switch screens. I'm, I'm sure this is annoying to the listeners, but I'm, I'm doing it again to like just drive it home uh, to our, our other view. And I'm going to turn it over to May Finch, who's going to guide us through our discussion of Parasite, which, as I said, is part two of our director drill down, not drill dong. And uh, we'll be comparing and contrasting, I'm sure, this to Snowpiercer, which was part one. So if you haven't listened to that episode, pause here, go back, check that one out, and then we'll see you in an hour or so. May Finch, take it away. All righty. So you should go back and listen to the previous podcast. But if you don't, just a quick recap on Bong Joon-ho and who he is. He's a South Korean Academy Award winning filmmaker. Uh, He directed today's film Parasite, uh, but he's also known for Snowpiercer, Okja, The Host, Memories of Murder, and a few other films. As far as Parasite goes, I feel like we're a few years out now and we're going to be spoiling it anyway. But I do highly recommend watching it before you listen to this podcast because we'll talk about this, but I personally feel like it has one of the best twists in a movie ever. Uh, so yeah, please go see this before we spoil it for you. But if you've already seen it, then uh, here's just a quick recap. Uh, Parasite starts with a poor family named the Kims who live in a basement apartment and have been unable to find consistent or well-paid work. An old friend of Kim Kiwoo's visits the family and gifts them a large rock called a scholar stone. He also offers to help Ki-woo get a tutoring job with a wealthy family known as the Parks, as long as Ki-woo can forge a college diploma. Ki-woo agrees to the con and lands the job with the Parks, tutoring their daughter, who he quickly develops a crush on. Ki-woo uses his tutoring position to do further cons with the Parks, uh, convincing them to hire his sister, Ki-jung, as the other Park child's art teacher, Mr. Kim as the Park's driver, and Mrs. Kim as their new housekeeper. Of course, to do this, they had to get rid of Moon Gwang, the Park's original housekeeper, and she returns to the house uh, all frantic because uh, her husband has actually been secretly living in a bunker in the basement of the house. 
She and the Kims begin to struggle, uh, attempting to blackmail one another until the Parks return home and the Kims force Moon Guang and her husband back into the bunker, accidentally killing her in the process. The Kims return home to find their apartment flooded with sewage and almost all of their belongings destroyed. Kiwoo just recovers the Scholar Stone, of all things, and the family spends the night in a public shelter. The next day, they have to return to the Parks house to pull off a birthday party for the youngest Park where all hell breaks loose because Moon Gwang's husband breaks out of the bunker, smashes Kiwoo's skull in with the Scholar Stone, stabs Kiwoo to death, and Mrs. Kim kills the man from the bunker before he can do any more damage. But Mr. Kim then turns on Mr. Park and stabs him to death as well. The movie ends with Kiwoo slowly recovering from his head wound, looking at the park's former house and realizing his father is now the one hiding in the basement. So yeah, a lot happens. And <laughs> I want to know what uh, your overall impressions were. I think this was a rewatch for both of you, right? Or was it the first time? Uh, first time for me. Yeah, rewatch for Chris. Okay. Well, uh, Will, what what were your impressions? Man, that twist. I Because I knew that it was supposed to build up to something. And so I was just sitting there kind of thinking like, okay, are they going to just get caught? Or like, what's going to happen? And then, yeah, when you find out that there's... Uh, you know, the other guy who's living in the basement and then just how that all just escalates so quickly by the end. I was amazing. I mean, I I was enjoying the film up till that point, but then that happened and I was like, oh, shit, it's going to get real, real quick. So, yeah, it was great. I loved it. Oh, man, I've seen this film several, several times. And <clears throat> I think like every time that's been a subsequent watch for me. I just marvel at how perfectly crafted everything is like the pacing. Um, there's a lot of symbolism. Um, and just, uh, again, like, like with the snow piercer, a lot of great use of space. I mean, like the, the house in particular is a, is almost like a character unto itself. Uh, but also using space to kind of convey those, uh, class differences. Uh, I can't, I can't take credit for this, but I saw a tweet, where um somebody had pointed out that you can almost draw like a perfect like vertical line down the middle in many of the shots that like show some sort of divider like using like a wall or something kind of um separating the the two classes so the the two families and uh i thought that was just, just brilliant i mean obviously like you can see the difference in sort of uh like where they they live and and sort of elevation and things like that and obviously that plays a part with the storm later on but uh yeah i just i marvel at this movie it's one of those ones that i think i could probably watch once a year for the rest of my life and always enjoy it and just get something new out of it so I, I've seen what you're referencing, and I think it's from a Thomas Flight video. He has a lot of good videos on Parasite and its editing and cinematography. If you want more info on that, highly recommend. I'll certainly reference. Yeah, I'll, I'll make sure to give credit. I just I, like didn't want to say the wrong person, but uh, yeah, I, I think it's, I think it's Thomas Flight. And even if it isn't, I would highly recommend his videos because he's obsessed with Parasite and does a deep dive on a lot of interesting things about it. Um, But yeah. I I think for me on the rewatch, I was really caught up in the suspense the first time because similar to you, Will, I didn't know it was coming, but I knew something was coming and that it was going to be really bad. And as we know, uh, Bong Joon-ho likes to keep you waiting, waiting, waiting. And then there's this kind of sudden explosion of violence, which is what we got, right? Um, this time, since I knew when that was coming, I was more focused on 
just kind of like noticing the the skill in the acting and also just kind of the overall ridiculousness of this because you realize the con isn't that smart <laughs> like <laughs> they're 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 pretty good forgers right and um like there's some clever aspects to it but the it, it mostly just relies on the parks not being all that bright <laughs> to function yes so i don't know i got a more comedic aspect out of it from the rewatch which was interesting but um i would like to talk about these two different families i guess to start with um what do you guys think of the kims start with I think like the introduction to them is really smart because I mean, there's some expositional dialogue, um, but just the state of like their, their living space uh, right away sort of kind of clues you into um, I mean, their, their social class, but also maybe their like mental state largely like, um, they seem to be rather defeated, you know, in the beginning, like, uh, like, yet also like looking for like the next thing. Um, I think they're fucking hilarious, like in terms of like personality. I mean, there's just so many great moments, like leave the windows open, we'll get free fumigation, you know, like stuff like that. It's just, it's amazing. Um, but I like the resourcefulness. Like I really, like, I truly do like how resourceful they are. And I think they're an interesting um, family. Uh, in a lot of ways so um trying to think if there's anything else of note i think they are the comic the comic or like yeah the comic uh, comedic relief of like the, the the movie for sure um somehow i've never been able to bring myself to really like root against them or feel too bad about what they're doing like i, I think every wa- rewatch i, I kind of root for them a little bit more and more where i'm like eh you know especially well, i'm sure we'll talk about um the park family but like given sort of their attitudes towards like people of classes below them yeah i i also would have a hard time rooting against them especially because you see that you see like a different side to them when they are fighting against the couple in the bunker um but it's like you see that mrs kim is a very very protective mother for instance like she has no problem charging at a guy with a knife when her daughter is you know on the line and i don't know it like it brings out a nasty side of them but also uh like kind of heartwarming side interestingly enough um so i would i would agree it's hard to root against the kims even though they're being all, all sneaky sneaky <laughs> taking advantage <laughs> Uh, I probably have to go along the same lines as Chris about the resourcefulness. Like it reminded me a little bit of what it was like working uh, like low end jobs, living in a studio apartment when I first started out. (laughs) And that was even after having the privilege of being able to go to college, you know, and that was during like the last recession. So in some respects, it was like, yeah, I understand having to watch what you do and being mindful of that. But I mean, this is you know, so much more dire for them and they're so close knit about it. And um, I think the resourcefulness and also the fact that they, they do care about each other so much that they all always work together. And with a little bit of Photoshop, <laughs> you can find your way into that dream job if you just try hard enough. But uh, no, I, I do. I, I really like how they always stick together. I think that for me was probably the biggest part about it because when, and when we talk about the park family, just sort of how that isn't 
always the case. I thought it was it was very telling that uh, for the Kims to be so reliant on each other, but also for the most part, seem to be very good natured about it. Yeah, that seems to be kind of the main difference in the family dynamics besides just, you know, wealth. Um, mm. But I, I feel like there's kind of a dark side to it, too, because they also have almost no personal space and very little personal identity or, um, you know, any any family, any money one of them makes is, is family money. Right. Um, mm. So you have very they have very few opportunities to kind of individually differentiate themselves. And that's unfortunately just another thing that comes with that sort of poverty yeah, and also tragic. the absolute worst bathroom i have ever seen <laughs> right, right? Behind you, yeah. <laughs> i will never complain about like a public restroom again <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's kind of tragic too how um who so who's the son what's his name Ke- kevin uh, Ki- is like Ki-woo. his like Ki-woo. i was gonna say kevin's all i can think of is like uh his like pseudonym or whatever but yeah his um, alias <laughs> his alias yeah um it, it's sort of tragic how he tries to justify the forgery of the documents of like i'm just borrowing these credentials like i am going to go to that school so i'm not really lying i'm just sort of like <laughs> having like a little bit of a um you know he's borrowing with interest uh <laughs> the prestige you know in a way which is kind of a sad thing because like i don't i don't know how you you two felt about it but i'm like i don't see you probably make it i mean before i even knew the plot of the movie you know what i mean like that just doesn't seem in the cards probably but which is so makes it kind of sad but yeah i i'm glad you brought up that point because i think one of the kind of thematic differences between mr kim and his son is you know he was very confident that he will go to college and he will get rich he just he hasn't had his break yet but that will happen he's very confident and Mr. Kim has kind of resigned himself to uh, a life without plans. He has that kind of monologue after the after the flood where he seems very defeated. Um, and I feel like those are like two mentalities that are at odds through the movie. It's implied, too, that he's tried and failed several times at ventures, right? So maybe it's just like time has beaten him down a bit more and kind of a preview of where maybe... You know, um, the next generation may end up after another twenty years of heartbreak and things. So, yeah, I don't know. I find find them to be tragic as well. I guess this was a very long winded way of saying that, but yeah. Oh, for sure. And I think there's a very different kind of tragedy to the parks, and I'm curious to hear your thoughts on them. Um, Will, I'm going to pick on you first. Go for it. How How do you feel about the parks? Oh, just in terms of, in, I, mean, <laughs> I apologize. Yeah, you, you were talking about like a different part of tragedy, and it was like a I thought you were saying like, like bring okay. your best, like give me your yeah. best shot. Like you're like go yeah, for no, it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I think it's. I think it. Well, I. I think more so for the husband who seems to be the most unhappiest in just that situation. He's always complaining about anyone who works for them, like any of the like his driver or you know the housekeeper um he doesn't really seem to love his wife because that's sort of like always like the the was it the phrase the the question that um 
is asked of him is you know but you still love her right kind of a thing i feel like that was the question that was asked and so that to me he just always seems so unhappy and, and distanced um but i suppose the same thing too for for mrs park you know she doesn't spend very much time doing really anything that you see i mean except for when she gears everything up for like her son's birthday party at the very end of the film um it seems like she's just sort of going about some kind of routine but you never really see much happening so i i don't know and maybe out of all of this rambling the maybe the the person who's the worst off is the is their son who thought he saw a ghost in the house <laughs> and then thinks he saw the same ghost come up at his birthday party you know and murder somebody you know who has like um just who goes at what probably ends up in a coma again i don't know like i felt i think of all of them i feel the worst for him that kid had like the most traumatizing childhood <laughs> living at that house and that's, that's like where I'm gonna, that's yeah i think <laughs> i'm gonna just end on that that's the high that is the high note of my answer but also the lowest part for that character right like yeah i'm not oh trying God. to get scared by a ghost while i'm eating cake on the floor you know what i mean mm-hmm it's it's such a good detail, I think, too, for Bong Joon Ho to put in the movie because I feel like we all have memories of children of being children and sneaking into the kitchen for food late at night. Like that feels like a pretty universal childhood experience. And it's like, okay, well, what if the thing that you were scared of being in the closet was actually there? <laughs> <laughs> it's such a great shot, too, where he, like, oh, you know, he is. love it. So yeah, I, I love that detail. Uh, it's, it's horrible as it is for that kid. Uh, what about you, Chris? What do you think of the parks? Um, I mean, a husband's a real piece of shit, isn't he? Like everything's so transactional uh, with him, like everything. And he always constantly talks about the line. The smell crosses the line, you know, like, oh, I like him because he doesn't cross the line. But that, that smell, that smell crosses the line. Like, I don't know. He's such a fucking asshole. And like, um, yeah, he doesn't seem to love his wife. He has like he can't even vocalize it or verbalize it, I should say, when um when it's brought up as Will kind of already pointed out. Um, she seems to kind of be more of a trophy wife than anything, which makes her story all the more sad. I mean, I think like the first time we meet her, she's just sort of sprawled out on um a table. I don't know if the implication there is like she's maybe like a little bit groggy on medication or like just bored like whatever it is clearly not very happy or engaged with like day-to-day life um again well i think as you already said um yeah the most alive you see her is when she's planning the party i mean she's so animated in a way that i don't think like if she seems a bit more in her element like it's like her chance to maybe engage with some of her peers and you know um have have some some fun but uh uh, the daughter, again, I'm sorry, I'm not going to pull up my character list here uh, in a second, but um, uh, you know, she's sort of like, as much as she's like the gateway for the family to get in there, like, I don't feel like a lot happens there other than me, like occasionally going like, oh, that's kind of weird. You're going to wait till she gets to cut. Like, it's like very groomery, like with the the first tutor and then like, you know, um, Kevin. uh and like Kevin yeah, was like, but, oh, that sounds like a great idea. <laughs> yeah, it just comes right in um, and uh, steals the plan. But um, she's sweet, you know, and uh, yeah, it's about I don't really have much else to add. And then if I will, I, I completely echo your sentiment, the poor little uh, child. Um, 
you know, who's uh, unfortunately like whose tragedy and trauma makes for some really great jokes, like with the artwork. Um, <laughs> like this is the schizophrenic zone in the bottom right hand corner of the the painting. Um, you know, it was uh, yeah, I, I feel bad that I laughed, but um, it was kind of <laughs> funny. But yeah, that poor little guy's uh, seen some shit twice. Um, and it's uh, it is rather sad, but yeah, I don't know. That's that's a I guess a long winded way of me saying like I feel sorry for three quarters of them, and then the other one I hate his guts. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I feel like they all seem very estranged from one another in different ways. Like yeah. it's really sad that Mrs. Park needs a completely unqualified stranger to like point out through her kid's artwork that the kid has some issues when like she could just look at him and pay him more attention and see that um I also feel like Mrs. Kim um really kind of embodies the just constant anxiety of like the upper class she seems like she's constantly worried about any little thing that could be like bad for her kids and bad for the household or bad for her husband and it seems like her gullibleness is just driven by fear largely and i think that's something that you'll see today like across cultures for um you know stay-at-home moms that are of that social class generally and yeah it's like not great in general for a healthy family dynamic but it also leads to that person being kind of miserable so I was, I was glad that characterization existed. Um, how would you rate the con overall? <laughs> <laughs> Chris? Um, uh, this is something you got to kind of suspend some disbelief. They do their best to set it up um, that she's a little bit on the dafter side. And thus maybe like wouldn't look past like the superficial credentials. Um, I think none of it really matters once it gets going because like it quickly becomes like a thing of distant memory once they're all there. I think like, I, well, for me specifically, like I, I just, I was like, well, I just want to see how this plays out. Like as much as I have to suspend disbelief and I'm aware that I have to suspend disbelief, like just the, it, getting these two families together and seeing like what's going to happen is worth the price of suspending your disbelief. Um, I think it's rather smart, I guess, like in a cinema way. Um, I, I think it, like under any kind of scrutiny, it's, it's kind of falls apart a little bit. Like it's pretty absurd. It hinges on a lot of chance, like the panties and the, the car, for example, to get the driver uh fired but um it's fun like i mean i'll say i will say i'll give it that it's it's a lot of fun and it makes for a lot of memorable scenes so yeah i'd have to go i'd have to say the same truthfully um and it is sort of like watching snowpiercer where you have to have a certain degree of (laughs) suspending disbelief for the sake of the plot which is okay because so much of it is very much cinematic or you know there's the symbolism behind it so that sort of carries the or doesn't even carry necessarily but sort of um, makes up for the fact that you don't have to really feel like it's completely real it's grounded in in a real idea and you can relate to it but at the same time you can go along with the story for the sake of how it's going to turn out and also because it feels like a train wreck 
no pun intended for the last film, but it's like a train wreck that you're like, I have to see how this is going to go. Like, are they going to get caught? Do I want them to get caught? Do I want them to pull it off? I don't really know. One way or the other, I have to find out. And so that was, that was, that for me was like the main thing. I was like, I don't even care how absurd this is because like when the entire family spends the night camped out at the park's house because the parks have gone off on a uh, camping trip with their son and it starts to rain and i'm like they're going to come back do not get drunk <laughs> what do the kids do they all get wasted and i'm like <laughs> no something is going to happen and then i'm like but i want to see it happen <laughs> so it's like yeah it's i had really conflicted feelings but i was excited to see how they were going to like if they could pull it off if they were going to get caught what was going to happen so that to me when that started to build up that tension um yeah it was great so yeah, long-winded answer. Uh, I I think it's the con is probably <laughs> probably not the best uh, idea to try um, in reality, but definitely for the sake of this story, was pretty awesome. You could argue it's a MacGuffin in a way, right? Like it's there to move the plot forward and to have this collision occur. Yeah, but doesn't end up being their direct downfall, really. Mm-hmm. Um, True. I. I, I feel like the absurdity is definitely what captures the interest, right? Because if it was like a very, like a fairly stereotypical, believable scam, it's just less interesting. But hey, if you're using, uh, you know, misplaced panties and peach fuzz to worm your way into someone's employment, that's that's pretty creative. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, the peach fuzz! Oh, oh creativity will give them a ten, yeah. like right? <laughs> Uh, but the other part of me is like, I hate to say it, but I don't see it as all that unrealistic. I, mm. Without saying much, I have worked in the homes of some very wealthy people who do not know me at all. And just the amount of implicit trust there is kind of astounding <laughs> are you are you trying is this like a like the unsaid thing is that this is how you started your uh jewel thief career like <laughs> <is that? laughs> chris we don't talk about that on the pod <laughs> oh my bad my bad <laughs> it's true we talked about hotels and we left it at a certain line where you don't if we want to talk about the line we don't we, don't, we can't <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, sorry, Chris, you uh, crossed the line there. I'm going to have to fire you from your own podcast. Uh, well, that's, oh, man, that's, that's really rough right there, man. Can I select exile versus execution? Is that like, <laughs> at least? <laughs> oh, God. Um, anyway, so, yeah, I can I can kind of believe it just based off of my own personal experience. That was legal, legal experience um <laughs> disclaimer <laughs> let's talk about the twist with the housekeeper um re-watching it i was like yeah this isn't really hinted at or alluded to or foreshadowed um and i was wondering if on your first watches if it was as much of a shock i get the sense from will that it was but I did not see it coming whatsoever. I was completely open mouthed in the movie theater. Uh, I did not see it coming. Uh, I will tell you like with complete honesty that um, I, so I went into this movie fully blind as far as like trailers and reading up on the plot and things like that. But enough people had said like, Oh man, like 
um this movie you just you got to go see it like don't read up on it. so like that kind of cues you in for something to happen even being a little queued up like i didn't see that i thought it was like oh they're just they're gonna get busted and then it's gonna be like some weird like blackmail game or i don't know like i i was prepared for pretty much anything besides what actually happens yeah it was a surprise for me too i um i guess once i found out that that she had been hiding her husband in the basement then and he talked about how he would set off the lights to flicker in morse code then my first thought was i have to go back and see if they were doing that beforehand and i never did do that so I need to go back and watch again to see if I can can pick up on that because that would have been something foreshadowy that I mean it wouldn't have told me anything except for something's going on with the lights but I, I totally dismissed was... it as like an electrical issue yeah yeah like eh, we'll get around to getting that repaired later kind of a thing yeah yeah it's... I thought it was like part of the class commentary like oh yeah like they're cheaping out on construction for this really nice house like the wiring's all faulty. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Oh, that was, yeah, there was, I, I had no idea that was what was going to happen. I felt like she would come back and something would, like she would discover something was off at the house, but I didn't realize that it was her husband was going to be like the twist part of that. That was, yeah, there's, uh, it was, it was a great twist and it was nothing that I saw coming. So, yeah. It's, yeah, the surprise is great. I also appreciate that it suddenly like switches the tension in the film, right? Because now it's not between the Parks and the Kims anymore. It's between the Kims and this other couple. And suddenly you have an antagonist on the same class level where kind of all of the pretense and niceties fall fall away and things get violent really quick. I yep. would like, what were you saying? Oh, I was just agreeing with you. I'm sorry. <laughs> thank you <Yes. laughs> um i would like to talk about the very end and then transition to talking about themes in common with snowpiercer if that sounds good to you guys yes cool so about that ending uh <laughs> like i said it was very characteristic of a bong joon ho film for all of that suspense to lead up to a lot of violence. Um, how did you guys feel about that? Both the violence and kind of how things are wrapped up after we see Kiwu in the hospital and we found out what actually happened to the families and he has this kind of ending monologue. I think that after having watched Snowpiercer, I sort of expected things to get violent. It's kind of like Tarantino, where you watch a Tarantino movie and you're like, at some point, it's going to get bloody and somebody's head's probably going to like explode. But <laughs> I liked, I liked the buildup. I didn't necessarily know how bad it was going to get, but I was excited to see how it was going to turn out. And if anybody was going to get like, beyond just, you know, physically injured, like when the housekeeper falls down the stairs after getting kicked and you hear that crack. And my first thought was, you know, okay, well, she's probably dead and anybody can go at this point because once one person dies, then it's like, you know, then that violence is going to escalate. It's a chain reaction. Um, yeah. And then it was like, she's not dead yet. And I thought, okay, so maybe 
everyone's gonna be okay and then she died and then the kid gets his head bludgeoned in with the stone and i'm like well he's dead and then he's not dead and i'm like okay maybe he's gonna be it's like you get really you don't really know how it's gonna turn out because characters that you think are gonna get killed don't get killed and they do get killed and then so yeah i think in some respects that sort of back and forth where you're not really sure how it's gonna turn out um was was different in itself like from anything else that I've seen like in terms of like American cinema where it's like if somebody gets shot and goes down they're probably dead um but I think at the very end it's very the monologue at the end I think was what was sort of like the it was touching but it was also very um very sad because you're you think at first okay did this really happen and then it it pulls back and you see that this is just what you think that maybe that it has happened you're not really sure it's a little ambiguous but the the feeling is that it isn't it's that it's what the son wants to do one day to help his father come out from in the basement where he's he's secluded himself and you think you know maybe but at the same time it kind of goes back to that whole um uh the comment that his father had about never making plans and how the son does try to make plans and how he sort of you know he expects that one day he'll be able to do certain things and whether it's the school comment you know about forging papers or it's about you know one day he'll get he'll get this high paying job and buy the house and his dad can come out of the basement and it's so it's it's bittersweet you know you're not really you're not really sure how it's going to turn out. It's interesting. It's fascinating that he figures out that his dad is in the basement. That's one of those other plot points where you're like, for the sake of the story, I'll buy it. But it seems so incredible, like incredible to have happened. And yet, yeah, uh, just that that bittersweet feeling at the very end about not really knowing how it's going to turn out. Yeah, bittersweet is a very good word for it. All right, Chris, you said something about uh, crushing our feelings about the ending. <laughs> oh uh no no i just didn't want to taint uh will's perspective since he hadn't seen it that's all um no i i like so i've gone back and forth a couple times and i think where i landed on the ending of this is like um regardless if you like if you read it as like sort of this is how what's actually happening or if it is something that's manifested in the brain of the character which is how i interpret it it's it's symbolic right regardless i think it's a bit more sad if it's manifested in his brain because like this is the happiest ending that he can conceive of is that his dad becomes sort of like the probably like the, the titular parasite like in a way like living down in the basement of somebody else's house and he can buy a house to sort of exonerate not really exonerate him but to like um allow him to kind of come back up to like the surface of of reality um or you know like in society i guess like um i kind of it's almost like being in purgatory down there in a way like it's sort of a non life i mean the original occupant is there because he's dodging loan sharks and then again if you whether it's real or not um you know the uh, the father is down there because he's trying to evade the law but um so that when i say reality like uh, like in my mind i've kind of linked purgatory in this place like as like it just like i don't know like i i don't know if i could do that man like like live down in a basement like that living off somebody else but um i do find it very tragic and i I do read it as more of a uh, manifestation than an actual like the reality of it but uh 
I like it. As far as like the everything going tits up at the the birthday party again, just I marvel at that sequence. There's so much that happens uh, so quickly, and it's just constructed mas- masterfully. I mean, in terms of both like surprise and suspense, you have certain information that other people don't so that's where the suspense comes in but there's still sort of the shock of what goes down and as will said people that make it out that you didn't think we're going to and vice versa um and uh yeah i don't know it's just it's it's a wonderfully dreadful scene um (laughs) unlike i mean it's what it sticks with you right like i i just uh from the first time i've seen that there's so many images that the, the shish kebab you know, through the the side, like really stuck with me that the the rock, uh, the scholar, what is it, the scholar rock? Is that what it was called? Um, just there's so many things that just stick with you. Um, so I love it. I mean, I, I think the the whole film is masterful, but like that final twenty minutes in particular is just something else. Yeah, I um, this is the first Bong Joon Ho film I ever watched, so I was not expecting <laughs> the violence like that. <laughs> Uh, and of course, it started out with my least favorite injury to watch someone get with the head. So it was a little rough on the first watch, but I do appreciate just how quickly things happen, how it's still clear what is going on with the way it's shot and edited. Um, and I have to agree with Chris that I think a lot of the ending does veer into more metaphor than reality even as early as all the violence that's happening, because you kind of see these people have had these tensions and these dynamics of using each other, this whole film. And when it finally does come to a head, every character has kind of a different out or action and result. Um, Mrs. Kim tries to defend her daughter, also kills someone, but that person, you know, is just a basement dweller slash you know was also killing people <laughs> so she gets off just fine uh mr kim turns on mr park and is now also a basement dweller uh either literally or figuratively ellie has thoughts i don't know if you can hear her but <laughs> uh <laughs> yes it was a rough ending ellie <laughs> um, yeah so and then uh, I think with Ki Wu, and I was really thrown by the fact he lived at first too, but I think that's also commentary on the fact that like he only lived because the park's daughter, who he had like a little relationship with, carried him out to the hospital. And I think that's kind of commentary on like escaping your class through romance and social ties and stuff like that. So yeah, I think there's a lot of symbolism and metaphor in the ending, and I think that thinking through that can kind of explain like why certain people lived and why certain people died um but it's also just a bloodbath plain and simple (laughs) yes um and yeah the final letter with kiwu does depress me a lot because i personally think it's probably just a story in his head the thing with his dad living in the basement now i don't think that is reality probably but it just it tells me that he hasn't given up on the idea that he can like somehow climb up to the park's social status when given where he's starting from and the way his 
environment is structured socially. That's just not going to be possible for him. Yeah, he has that great line right before the chaos of the party where he says like something to the effect of do i belong here Mm. you know and it's like he it's like he it's the first time he's acknowledged that he's like this sort of interloper in a way like or like out loud and and maybe has feelings about that maybe he's acknowledged it before but has sort of gloomy feelings about it um which is very interesting and you pointed out that he's carried out did they ever say if Mrs. Park, like, was she elevated up through the marriage or do they not really comment on that? Like, I can't remember if she comes from, you know, the same class or is... That's a great question. I'm not sure. I have a feeling she's probably from the same class, just given how same. kind of helpless she is about a lot sure. of things. It's um, true. But who knows? Right. It could be that she was in the same class generally, but maybe his family was like slightly wealthier, something mm. like that. Who knows? Yeah. Um, but yeah, uh, so switching to talking about class and now thinking about Snowpiercer as well um, and any other common themes that you see. I just know class is a big one. Um, I I personally feel like in both films it's very visceral the, the class differences like there's a lot communicated through your senses other than sight i mean with sight there's also a lot going on like with color and just visible grime <laughs> but uh i i really love how bong jun ho uses these other senses and parasited smell largely but also like elements of of texture too um and just kind of how polluted the space is as well um and you see that in snowpiercer too just the back of the train is super cramped there's not really any space what space is there is very dirty whereas the train cars like feel way bigger as you move up towards the higher class levels um so the the class difference is something you can very like physically embody and feel and go back to the cinematography, which we talked about in Snowpiercer. Uh, it's similar kind of trick, but like it's I think it's a bit more clever in the the train setting um, personally. But um, sort of when you're in the back of the train and kind of like, uh, I guess, by proxy, like in, in um, Parasite, like when you're at the Kim's house, there's a lot more close up shots. And that's because like there's like not there wouldn't physically be the space to shoot people from far away. And as you've mentioned already, there's a lot more in the frame. Like there's a lot going on, like in any room that you're in boxes and empty beer bottles and whatever. Um, Whereas like, you know, in the train, there's like the size is sort of conveyed through the emptiness. And and similarly, like in um, the park's house, you see that as well. So um, I do like that. And you have a lot more distant shots. Right. And again, it's because there, there is more space um to move around um i i like the idea like i already kind of touched on it of like the interloper right where from the perspective of the wealthy like uh there can be a transgression right and it doesn't have to necessarily be um something so like over as begging for money or something like that it's just the way that somebody smells can be a transgression uh the cheap panties you know like in the the car i mean they they comment on them right like this is like the, the what they look like and feel like are are like and 
uh, it is a trans transgression. And it's really alarming that, by the way, where like they consider that she may have been assaulted in the car and they're not worried about that. It's the transgression of like, why do it in my car? Right. Like, um, very so, yeah, much that, a, that... not in my backyard, not in my fancy car mentality. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I like that. I saw, I saw, like, I noticed that, you know, having kind of watched these two close together as well, that like the, the idea that like, like the poor can transgress, but not the other way around. Like, you know what I mean? Like, especially in Snowpiercer, it's like, we will come to your car and freeze off your arm and tell you what to do, when to do it. And you will like, you know, like there is no transgression there. So actually I was thinking, um, <clears throat> About something that you had said last podcast, Chris, about how the weather is sort of a contributing factor ah, to you. some extent or other. So like you were talking about the flooding and then, wow, I guess global warming for Snowpiercer and then the flooding that takes place in Parasite. So do you want to kind of dig back into that a little bit more or? Yeah, I find it interesting that like Snowpiercer, everyone's in the same boat and in Parasite, the weather has a much more adverse effect on the people that are not wealthy. Um, you, you really kind of see the um, I mean, well, boy, you want to talk about transgression and sort of interloper, but like the like right behind you, you know, sort of the water level being all the way up, you know, um, to the point of where it's like unsafe to be in your living space, and that being a direct result of like where you're physically located, you know, your neighborhood and, and being a, a, a sort of you know, basement dweller, um, for uh, for the Kims, and then it's like well, the most pleasant evening thunderstorm when you go back over to the parks house where, you know, you, you make love to your wife and you enjoy the pitter patter of the rain, you know, <laughs> and like, and have a nice little nap on the couch. So, um, yeah, I think it's some interesting commentary, like it almost like he's kind of saying like, um, you know, that the, the wealthier, um, and I mean, it's true, you know, are, are safe, um, from the elements and sheltered in a way that, uh, unfortunately the the kims are not so um i just thought it was a, a nice little touch of sort of like showing the difference like you know in, in contrasting their spaces again in a way that involves the elements but yeah uh i think mostly everything that i would have mentioned has already been touched on but i will say the windows like the use of windows has was something that stood out to me in snowpiercer as well as in parasite like you just you see more of the outside world the wealthier that you are which whether or not the outside world is anywhere that you want to go um, is arguable depending on the character in the film. But um, yeah, I think just the fact that you can see more things feel more open, even in spite of how much space you may or may not have. And so that, that, that difference of just feeling confined and cramped and you don't really know what else is, is going on outside is, is, I don't know. That was I, I, there's not much more that I can say to besides that. But it was yeah, it was just like the big open, like living room space that I found the most striking um, in Parasite. Indulgent, yeah. right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like all this open space. I guess it is kind of interesting that how how in uh, in Snowpiercer it's the other way around. Like they want to get out, like or at least. You have the one character who wants to get out of the train <laughs> and everybody else just thinks he's crazy. Um, and yet he's also coming from the, the poor end of the of the uh, of the cars and wants to blow open the side of the door and just say, screw everybody and we can live outside. Um, and 
I don't know. Maybe it's the same sort of idea of trying to climb out of the out of the basement. You just want to get out. You want to feel free. So I do have to point out the most surface level similarity, which is that Song Kong Ho is in both of them. <laughs> nice. <laughs> yes. Uh, and and does wonderfully in both. But um, I think it's also interesting how um, children can also kind of highlight these class differences and the way that they're treated varies so differently between the classes. Like the kids in the Kim family are expected to hustle and work because they have to to survive. Whereas um, the... <laughs> there's this the scene that you guys are talking about with the the parks on the couch and their kid in the, like the little tent out in the yard and it's just like such a like sheltered simulation of danger and adventure and it's so different from the actual lives of the people beneath them <laughs> And I feel like Snowpiercer is kind of similar when you see like the kids up in the front, like school car and they're taught about like, oh, how great, you know, Mr. Mr. Wilford is. And given this like very cushy, comforting history of the train and yeah. all the toys they could want, whereas the other kids are literally working the engines. <laughs> yeah, kids, kids are important. They yeah. say a lot to some to some people. <laughs> and if they're in the right <laughs> class actually they have a use for you guys say they're important in different yeah. ways yeah <laughs> <laughs> anyway uh <laughs> and we'll just uh, leave it at that no it's yeah, <laughs> yeah. um uh if if you had a friend come to you and say hey i want to see a film directed by bong joon ho what would you recommend uh would you can only recommend one film would you say Parasite or Snowpiercer? And why? Easy for me. I Parasite 100%. Yeah. With the caveat of don't look anything up. Just trust me. Mm-hmm. Um, I watched this in a watch party again over the pandemic with a bunch of friends who typically don't watch like films with subtitles and are not into like what you would categorize as like the more like artsy independent things and universally like loved not liked um it just resonates with people i think because you have all the surface level enjoyment um you know uh going on like I mean, all the, the the scam and the the crazy ending and all that stuff but i think it's also very easy to connect with its themes as well regardless of what what side of you know maybe people connect from <laughs> from the park side you know there are people that grow up like that in in the world but um yeah that's the one i would recommend right i just think it's uh something about it just resonates yeah i bet you will see you i agree yeah i agree at first i was like i was gonna say parasite too and then i like second guessed myself i was like well maybe there's like a caveat like maybe if somebody wants like weird dystopian like sci-fi you know then go with snowpiercer instead of like (laughs) the con job but no, I think overall, stylistically, um, I think that Parasite is definitely the superior film. I think it's I think it's very beautiful and bittersweet and dark and relevant in a lot of ways. So absolutely. Yeah, I, I'd have to agree in part just because 
it, it feels a lot more cohesive. It's very obvious. This is something that Bong Joon-ho had his hands in from like the start of creation with the writing all the way through the end. Whereas Snowpiercer is an adaptation of a pretty old graphic novel. And I think a lot of its faults come from that. And a lot of Parasite's strengths come from having the same kind of creative mind at every step of the process. Um so, yeah, I'd, I'd also say Parasite. But if I had the opportunity to recommend two films, I would also say Snowpiercer. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> there's uh, there's that. Um, do you guys have any other thoughts on Bong Joon-ho? That's all I had prepared. No, I think you made a great double feature here. So thank you. I thank agree. Thank you for I the think- opportunity. <laughs> I think the only it's not really about the director it's just about um an item that has come up on this podcast I would like to say that if you ever wanted to turn our podcast into a drinking game I would say for this episode every time Chris inadvertently talks about dong um I think you should take a, a shot so that's that's all I'm gonna, I'm gonna leave oh boy drill dong what I need you to do is like I we're gonna fight club it like Take that um <laughs> that card, like the artwork from the card, and I want you to like alter it to have a dong in it, and we'll just we'll blip it in for like a single frame uh, when I when I say that uh, for a little subliminal subliminal messaging. I don't know if you've seen you that before. Uh, see, <laughs> the thing is, I really want to see you continue to slip up on that for every single podcast we have in this category. <laughs> yeah. Yep, it'll happen. My my tongue gets twisted way more than I'd care to admit. So. Yep. We're just gonna have to set it up for you, man. Just so you, we'll, we'll we'll do little subtle hints here and there. <laughs> well, do you guys want to do some uh, trivia, some parasite trivia? Or do yes, it. Let's do it. All right. So I believe Chris is the victor of our Snowpiercer trivia. So, Jeez. Will, this is this is your chance for a comeback. All I care about is getting on the board. All right. <laughs> just one, just one point. <laughs> uh, same as last time, we have five questions. Uh, any number questions, just get as close to the number as you can. Higher or lower, doesn't matter. There's a couple mm-hmm. true or false. And anything else, just closest answer wins. As judged by me, you're totally impartial judge. <laughs> <laughs> Question one. Uh, and I'm so sorry, Will, this... I didn't like pick this for Chris, but I do think Chris will have an advantage on this one. Okay, uh, all right. <laughs> there, there are a few nods to Hitchcock in *Parasites*. Oh man! <laughs> Can you name one of them? <laughs> mm. This is at the top of all the trivia lists for this film. Yeah. I'm sorry. <laughs> I should have done my homework before this. I didn't understand the assignment. Um, <laughs> why? Well, so, can I qualify your question slightly? Uh, yes. Is this like? an aspect of hitchcock or is this a film of hitchcock are we um i would say general like aspects of hitchcock and there is also one much more direct kind of nod to hitchcock gotcha am i going first sorry I was gonna say, yeah, you wait. Whoever on me talks this. first, honestly. <laughs> I'm still pondering, honestly, like because I don't know how specific like this is gonna get. So that's where I'm like, hmm. feel free to guess. I was gonna say, I'm I'm just gonna throw it out there that what I would think of with Hitchcock with this would be something like rear rear window. Apparently, I can't say the word rear very clearly either. Um, uh-huh. <laughs> 
but it had i don't know something about watching other people and the okay. windows and all that that's i don't know that would connect for me more all right so that's will's answer what about you chris um, I mean, I, so maybe this is getting like too cerebral or specific. I'm sure it, it is. <laughs> I'll say like transference of, of guilt is definitely something. Mm-hmm. Um, you have that like with the basement dwellers and sort of the, the parks and transference of guilt is something that uh, features very heavily in Hitchcock's film. So I, I will need you ex- to explain that one a bit farther. Uh, so like of what guilt to who <laughs> oh uh, so i would say like like the transgression or like the like the, the interlopers sort of uh-huh. going like oh like you're actually like the interlopers and then going like no you're the interlopers i mean it, it actually happens a couple different times and okay. depending on where okay. you're sitting but no, no no that's I'll, I'll i'll allow it okay so you both got a point no uh worries. yeah so well yes the windows are a big motif the other general one that i caught and was suggested in the trivia that i saw are just the stairs as a motif as well uh Mm. some very important conversations happen going up and down stairs and you know there's lots going on with the stairs uh and the one direct uh kind of hitchcock insert is there is a uh collection of like hitchcock films on a shelf in their home that you can briefly see that's awesome uh but yeah i'll give you both a point for that uh sweet question two true or false parasite was originally conceived as a dark musical a la heathers (laughs) you know heathers does a musical so that's news to me oh man i want it to be true (laughs) do i i yeah Mm. Mm. (laughs) <laughs> well i've already i've already thrown it out there i i want it to be true i know it's probably not gonna be but i want it is to that be your true. answer that is true then i'm just i'm just gonna say yes i know it's okay. probably wrong but i don't care i just want it to be true <laughs> also as the question asker i can confirm that heather is being a dark musical is a factual statement cool <laughs> i um I'm trying to think of like the plot of this movie, right? And like like where the numbers would be, like, we're gonna scam the parks, like the little opening number, you know, like <laughs> the little dance number with the whole family and a little duet with um, you know, with Kevin and, and his little uh, unfortunate groomed um student. But I'm gonna say false. I just I don't know. I can't I can't conceive of this, but I also want it to be true, but I'm saying false. I'm with you on this, Will, but it is sadly false. Ah, oh, there's no dirge while you're sitting in your basement while your toilet's overflowing and you're smoking a cigarette? Like, ah, oh, man. But I came up with this because apparently it was originally supposed to be a play. Oh, mm, that I could see. Nice. Yeah. yeah. And then he was like, nah, this, this needs to be a movie. So it became a movie. But it could have been a play at one point. I right. need somebody to out there to get on writing. We're gonna scam the parks as the uh, as a uh, opening number, please. Please give us some credit. Give him. Like, like you can see that each of them steps forward and sings a verse, and then they come back for the chorus together. Oh my god! Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. All right, moving on from that cursed idea. Uh, <laughs> Chris has two points. Will has one. Uh, question number three: True or false? 
Inspiration for the film came partly from Bong Joon-ho's own experience as a tutor. True. Also going to say true. That is true. That's a boring one, but that's true. I'll take it. (laughs) But like, I don't know. It kind of adds to the realism of the film for me to be like, okay, so this is a guy that was working with these kinds of people and thought, yeah, this is believable. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> i mean it's it's kind of like what you said too i mean some of the yeah. jobs that you had where it was like you know yeah i could pull one over on these guys <laughs> <laughs> all right question number four bong joon ho's father was a collector of something that would come to feature heavily in parasite what did he collect if it's not stones or hitchcock films then uh <laughs> you, you have to pick one <laughs> oh man oh, I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. well i'm gonna go with stones i know it's gonna be out of left maybe a little out of left field but i feel like that uh the scholar was it the scholar rock the scholar stone scholar stone yeah yeah i'm just i'm gonna go with that i don't want right, to copy Chris? you i feel like you're probably right so um i'm gonna stall for time uh... and say it's probably not plum extract <laughs> um, peaches mind you not plums <laughs> no and the little the little the thing that she's like oh you need a little shot of like the plum extract to calm uh, your nerves down yeah you know yeah um so instead i am going to say i don't know artwork artwork okay mm, uh will and chris are tied now because will was correct on that one his father collected yeah. stones Nice. And that is again part of the inspiration for the scholar stone. All right, this is the last question. You guys are tied. So sudden death, basically. Hell yeah. <laughs> and this is probably the hardest question, too. So Aww. prepare yourselves. At the end of the film, Ki Wu vows to buy the park's old home and free his father. Bang Joon-ho estimates it would realistically take Ki-woo how long to have enough money to buy the home? Based on what kind of salary? Like uh, his salary at the end of the film. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> In how many years would it take for uh, him to buy the home? Math questions. <laughs> I'm going to say uh, 150 years. Okay. Ooh. He'll be pretty, pretty wrinkly by then. Will? I'm not going to do the the dick move, like the price is right move, where you do like, or, you know, Jeopardy, where it's like one dollar $1 higher. Um, you could if you uh, want to. I'm, yeah, but I don't want to, I don't want to do Chris dirty like that. <laughs> so I, I could also be wrong anyway. I'm going to go Say with what's in your heart. <laughs> I'm going to go. <laughs> Uh, it's not dong. Um, I will say that, but uh, dong is not in your heart. (laughs) (laughs) You should see a doctor about that. I think. (laughs) Uh, two fifty. Two fifty. All right. Yeah. Well, uh, will you you have come back and defeated Chris because what what the actual answer was five hundred and forty years nice i knew it was going to be more than a lifetime for sure that's how big the wealth yeah. disparity was 540 yeah. years jeez man better better scam some more wealthy people man that's all i can say which i guess just makes the ending all the more sad yeah yeah 
that's what I was saying. Like, I like I think it's if this is like the biggest pie in the sky dream, I just don't see there's any way that like that's actually yeah. happening. But but it's I'm kind of glad Bong Joon Ho like came out and say said that because obviously like the economic situation in South Korea is a bit different from the US. So for mm. US viewers, I think it does contextualize just how rich the parks are compared to Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you both for playing. Congrats, Mel. Thanks. Thank you. Well, well played, my <laughs> my friend. Good job. Likewise. Thank you. Is it a uh, is it card time, Chris? It's not because. Oh, um, you're right. <laughs> despite trying to always be honest with you all, we have said before on many occasions we're not perfect. Uh, so originally the plan was to uh, proceed to our next episode and have a guest to watch uh, Throne of Blood which was the card that we drew. Um, however, we um, ha- had a bit of a snag with scheduling and Will was able to go on vacation and come back with no interruption to the flow of the show. Uh, however, um, we are in a position where we can have him on that episode. So uh, it'll be regularly scheduled program and guests will be watching Throne of Blood. I will insert that clip now. Okay, so what I'm going to do through the magic editing here is I'm going to draw the card and I'll keep the footage um, and then I won't reveal it until maybe next week's episode and we can just, uh, you know, we'll we'll intersperse that. So, um, and if Will vetoes it, I'm definitely going to, you got to throw a big tantrum though. Like, like throw something down, like break a glass, like absolutely fucking not guys. You guys are not doing that one. (laughs) So, um, all right, let's see what, our film is and will please don't feel bad if you do want to veto the topic um and save it for a different time again no oh. one will know because all right ooh, <laughs> this is probably one that is just by default gonna be um because it is a was the book better um vetoed, <laughs> so um i'm gonna go ahead and flip that over i'm not even gonna look to see what it was you're yeah. not going to make somebody as a guest suffer through having to read a book no. and talk about the movie? Nope. Come on. Nope. <laughs> I veto your veto. I don't even want to know what it was, though. Um, <laughs> all right. Our next one is Deja Vu. Nice. And the film is Throne of Blood, which is a Akira Kurosawa adaptation of Macbeth. Starring Toshiro Mufune, who's one of the the great Japanese like actors that he worked with a lot. So I will give you the option, sir, if you would like to participate in that. We can throw it back in the pile. That is, uh, it's a fairly niche one, so I don't think uh, any potential guests would necessarily object to that if you wanted to be part of that. <laughs> uh, Chris that is in. begging you. <laughs> <laughs> no, not necessarily. I, I'm sure I could find somebody if they wanted to talk about it. But also, like, I'm fine. Like. Japanese takes on Shakespeare are pretty rare. You only that did is, one other one, for knowledge, <laughs> which was Ran. He did uh, King Lear's Ran, but oh, hmm. welcome back. And uh, yeah, so we will be watching Throne of Blood. The context is deja vu, and that is where we celebrate a film that pays homage to a genre, or in this case. Uh, for me, I'm considering Shakespeare a genre, which I know is kind of cheating. But <laughs> if you want to see how Akira Kurosawa tackles uh, the play of Macbeth in feudal Japan, 
Here you go. I'm very excited. I've not seen this particular Kurosawa film, but I've seen many of his films and he's one of my favorite directors ever. I'm very much looking forward to to watching this and talking about it with uh, the two of you. Me too. Um, I studied a lot of Shakespeare in college and Macbeth was by far my favorite. So same. Yep. I know there's a lot of like Hamlet uh, supremacist out there like Hamlet is a whiny little shit who (laughs) can't make up his mind. It's also, I think, the longest Shakespeare play. Get the fuck out of here. Like, Macbeth is way, way, way cooler, like, on pretty much any scale that you would measure coolness. Um, having recently watched uh, the Cohen, not brothers, but brothers, either Joel or Ethan made a version with Denzel Washington that was amazing, like in black and white. And it did really cool stuff with like like the witches and things like that. Um, I'm looking forward to to another adaptation. And so is Marianne because she had never seen a Red Hamlet. So we got to like watch the original language. And um, I'll be kind of curious to see how it's handled. Everyone's always told me that it's a, it's a great Kurosawa film and a great adaptation of a great play. So have you either of you seen any of Kurosawa's works? Are you familiar with sort of? Oh, OK, cool. We'll talk more on the podcast then. I don't want to um spoil your your viewing with uh sort of thematic stuff or anything like that but um yeah that'll be it and next week we'll obviously draw from our pile which uh as i'll switch over really quickly to show our audience that pile if you didn't notice is significantly beefier on the game board there because we have added those new cards in so uh there's a little teaser for you you uh, as always it right chris I did, but I, you know what, like just to show the audience and and you all on the replay that I have shuffled it, I'm shuffling it again. And <laughs> there we are. Um, it is shuffled not <laughs> once, but twice. Um, but yes, as always, look, we we appreciate you uh, watching, listening to the show, supporting the show. It is our pleasure to to do this every week. And I'm excited to have some some new categories and of course, many films to talk about. If you would, please give us a like, uh, a subscribe, and more importantly, a share. We had really good growth in our first year. We're coming up on a one-year anniversary. I do have some some stats and things planned for when we actually hit that date. Um, But uh, really sharing word of mouth, that really helps. Facebook posts, tweet, whatever you're inclined to do, we appreciate it. And that is really the best way you can support the show. But uh, until next time, you can find us on uh, at ScreenQuestPod on Twitter. And of course, uh, follow, I think, two of us on social media. We're linked to that Twitter page as well. But uh, we love you. See you next week. Bye. Bye. Bye, guys. Bye.